Welcome to the Christ Connection Podcast. We are here to help and encourage you to enjoy your adventure with Jesus. I'm your host, Kevin Senapati-Ratna. Let the journey begin. Hello and welcome to the Christ Connection Podcast. My name is Kevin Senapati Rotten. I'm so glad you could join us today for another episode to help you on your adventure with Jesus. Now, most of the time when I'm doing these podcast episodes, I want them to be able to last. So if you're listening to this year, the year 2025, it's still something you can grab a hold of and go on your adventure with Jesus. But I did want to slightly set the context for this episode. Uh, it's coming out April 1st, 2020. So it's in the midst of the uh, pandemic, uh, the virus that's hitting around the world. So wherever you're listening to this, if you're listening to it when it goes live, it's impacting you. And we're not going to talk about it a lot when we get into the interview, but I did want to uh, say, first of all, if you're in the midst of this, one, if you have a prayer request, uh, reach out to us, Enjoying Prayer on Twitter and on Facebook, or Christ Connection on Facebook as well. Uh, and just let us know uh, what we can pray for you in the midst of this. Uh, two, that in the midst of this, that I pray that you experience peace and freedom from anxiety and worry. Um, it's a strange world we're living in at this moment, and I uh, may feel disorientating. Uh, go back and listen to the episode on anxiety and worry from the Apostle Paul. He's good. It applies so great right now in this season of time, so uh, that can be a great resource to you. Uh, the other side to the this is a great opportunity for the church to be the church. I love seeing what pastor friends around the world are doing to be a blessing and an encouragement in this season, in this time. And you may feel kind of helpless, uh, you know, maybe locked in your house, kind of a thing. I'm in the back of my trailer right now just because this is the place where I can record this intro. But uh, that is uh, does not mean that we can't still make a difference. And I think our guest today uh, really can speak to this. Uh, I have Matthew Barnett, uh, who, who is in founder and co-founder of the Dream Center in Los Angeles, California, is also the pastor uh, of Angeles Temple uh, there. And God is using them to touch and minister. And actually in this time and in this season, they're doing some great work of uh, passing out food and being a blessing to the uh, people in Los Angeles. But we're, we talk about his new book, One Small Step, The Life-Changing Adventure of Following God Nudges. And if ever there were a time, today is the day to begin to follow the God nudges in your life. The, those small things can make a huge difference, whether it's a, a word of encouragement, a text, an email, a, a, you know, FaceTime with someone can make all the difference in the world for them. Uh, the prayers that we pray during this time and during the season, and again, that really applies whenever, but I just want to highlight for us right now that this is a time and a season where we can begin to follow God nudges at a whole new level and be a blessing and an encouragement to the world around. That alone is the adventure that we were called to be on. And so I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. It's going to be really practical, but also very inspirational for the difference that you can make, uh, the difference that God has called us to make. So without further ado, my conversation with Matthew Barnett. Okay, Matthew, welcome to the show. It's good to be with you. Thank you. Uh, it's, it's fun to talk to you finally after uh, I have been following your ministry for probably as long as you've been in ministry so it's it's fun to have a conversation 
Well, it's so good to be with you. It's always a joy to talk about all the good things God is doing. And uh, we're going to be talking today about your uh, new book, uh, One Small Step, The Life-Changing Adventures of Following God Nudges. Uh, but before we get to that, if uh, a random question for you, as, we, as I was searching on YouTube uh, about you, I, uh, the third thing that showed up was a music video, uh, <laughs> story, story of my wife, and uh, I have watched it now multiple times. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> and I, I even watched it short, uh, this morning in preparation again, and I, uh, is there, what's the context of that story? <laughs> Uh, there, the problem is, is there really is no context. It was just <laughs> a fun spoof that we do at church. We like to mix it up. You know, we're in the middle of a, in a really kind of a serious work, but we like to have a whole lot of fun to bring light to it. I think that's one of the reasons why we've been around for 25 years, um, just looking for ways to have fun in the midst of all that we're doing. Uh, that's awesome. Well, I that is definitely going to be in the show notes so that people can check oh. <laughs> check it out. Fantastic! Thank you. That, I, I need to spread the love and the joy. That's just I appreciate that. That is quality television. As my daughter would say, that's good TV right there. Um, but um, now, for those who might not be familiar, just to set the stage before we dive into everything else. Uh, if they were not familiar with the Dream Center, you walk up to somebody on the street to, who's at, at, and asks you about that. How do you describe what the Dream Center is? If they can imagine a church that's based out of a hospital that is open 24 hours a day, and just imagine anyone who had any need, whether it be uh, drug addiction, homelessness, uh, families that had nowhere to go, that showed up in their cars, they can all show up to this place called the Dream Center. It's a hospital that we bought after starting a little church building, and uh, it was sold to us in the 1990s, actually, by the Catholic Church, who owned the building, and uh, we were just reaching people in our local neighborhood and our local block, doing the best we could, and uh, sure enough, uh, this Queen of Angels Hospital becomes available after the earthquakes and riots, and um, we had a few houses in the neighborhood that we were taking in people that had drug addictions, and and uh, we just started using whatever we had, you know, a little desk on the sidewalk, and that's the first ministry. And then it just blossomed into the whole neighborhood. And then one day we were driving down that freeway, we see the hospital, and the Catholic Church sold it to us for uh, $3.9 million back in 1996, when they could have sold it for $16 million <laughs> to, uh, to Paramount. You know, Nightmare on Elm Street was filmed there, Halloween was filmed there, all uh. the horror slasher films were filmed there. <laughs> but uh, when we bought it... Um, we just decided that we wanted, we thought, you know, what would happen if this hospital would be open 24 hours a day where nobody would ever be turned away for help? And now we have 700 residents that live there every day and feed about 30,000 people every week through all the outreach programs in the community. Wow. Hey, it's amazing uh, how it's grown over the years. Hey, I remember because I was a lead pastor before starting this ministry about 15 years ago, and uh, I remember reading your uh, The Church That Never Sleeps. Uh, that's your first book, right? Is that, yes, that's correct. Uh, and it was such an encouragement to me and kind of shaped my whole idea of creativity and the importance of creativity in ministry. Uh, what has God been teaching since then? What has God been teaching you about creativity over the years, kind of out of that and then since then well yeah you know that this the new book is really a throwback to that one in some ways it's going back a little bit to the roots of 
of, of finding a need and filling it. You know, I, I think a lot of creativity that we have found is found in just simply meeting the basic needs of people because uh, people obviously have creative problems, to be honest with you. Um, and they really provide creative solutions, you know, just when you think that you've met every need that you possibly can, you know, you'll meet somebody who's using drugs in a different kind of way or somebody who is um, off the streets uh, that has a different set of issues. And so most of the creativity I get is just keeping my eyes open to what is going on in the community and meeting those needs. Also, I think creativity is a lot of uh, is your attitude uh, towards situations. I think in the inner city here, a lot of people expect us in dealing, you know, with the mass homelessness and all that goes on to kind of have a, a sense of sadness and darkness about our work. But the truth is we try to be different than our neighborhood. We try to show so much joy and optimism and hope. And um, I think a creative attitude is necessary to pull a lot of these communities out of the place that they're in. And um, so a lot of what we do is just kind of work on having a mindset that pulls people up. I mean, one of the creative things that we do is when people come in is we ask them, what is your dream? And you're asking a meth addict, you know, for 10 years, what is your dream? It freaks them out. They're like, that's, that's a question I never thought anybody would ever ask me because I'm just trying to get off of drugs. You know, here you're asking, what is my 10-year plan? But the truth is, a lot of those questions and mindset philosophies, is, I think, is what allows people to not just feel like they're in a homeless shelter, but uh, think that they're arriving in a place where they really can can grow and do something great with their life, like modern-day disciples. Um, and that's the approach that we have, and I think that's what keeps us fresh and innovative in, um, in how we reach people. Right. And innovative is definitely uh, the word for you and your, your ministry. The, the latest book, the subtitle is Adventure of Following God Nudges, and uh, Adventure with Jesus is kind of the theme of this podcast. Uh, what is the idea of God nudges uh, to you? And kind of, you also talk about nudges of the Holy Spirit. What, what does that mean and kind of what does that look like? To me, it looks like all kinds of things. There's really on a daily basis so many things that God impresses on our spirit to do that we just kind of cast aside. You know, we say, well, that's a good idea, but I don't have the time, money. We justify why we can't do something. We kind of spend our life saying no to a lot of things that God puts in our heart like saying something to someone that you've always loved, but you've never said it, um, feeling emotion for someone, but never actually speaking it, um, little things that can change the, uh, the pattern of someone's life. Like, for example, in my book, I talk about the story about my wife and how you know she's a hugger and a cuddler, and I'm not. Like The, the reason why we bought a California king bed is because it is the king. It is like, a, it, it's like huge. And so and the more, you know, I, my idea of waking up is, is having my space when I sleep, right? But uh, she's more of a cuddler, so you know what? That was a barrier from us going to the next level in our relationship. But God just spoke to me and said, 10 minutes a night is stopping you from going to the next level. You know, do something that is not natural to you and watch what happens. And so I started spending 10 minutes a night. You know, I wasn't like counting or telling her she was on a time. <laughs> My internal timer is 10 minutes a night. And it changed the whole relationship. I mean, it was it, it, it bonded us in such a way that was closer. And... And, and so I just try to encourage people to just, you know, there's a lot of things that we want to do, but we just say, nah, I'll never do it and spend our life in this routine. For example, um, one day I was, I was at the Rose Bowl just doing a little walk around the park and I get a text message from a guy who, uh, who talks about these guys who ran seven marathons on seven continents on seven consecutive days. I mean, we're talking full marathons on every continent of the world in seven days. 
And he sent me this. I said, that's great. Those people are really wonderful people. And then he sent me a message and said, if you agree in 24 hours to run these marathons and do this yourself, I will give the Dream Center $100,000. And I thought about the need that we have in our ministry. It was a tough time. I talk about, you know, in the book about how I had to literally give every penny I had to keep the payroll going at the Dream Center. And we needed a miracle. And it was so far outside my comfort zone, I didn't know what to do. But I just said yes. Because I realized that the people at the Dream Center are way more important than my comfort. And I trained for nine months, 100 miles a week of training. It was the most extraordinary thing. I ended up running seven marathons on seven continents in seven days. Not even a runner. I ran in Antarctica, Madrid, Morocco, Dubai, Australia. I mean, all these um, continents in, in Miami and all these in seven consecutive days. And I, as I went through that process, I thought, you know, God, what are you going to do? And I didn't really know what was going to take place, but... Through the, a struggle and an injury that I experienced on marathon number four, uh, it caught the attention of America, and people started to respond, and we ended up raising $1.4 million and were able to house wow. 200 more people just by saying yes to an uncommon thing. And so whether it be little things on a day-to-day -day basis, whether it be talking to that homeless person that you've always wanted to talk to, but the goal of the book is just to say today is the day. Now is the time to start doing things that are, are, are ideas that we say, are those good ideas or are they God ideas? Well, the fact of the matter is that if they're coming up into your spirit, they're probably not from you um, if they're outside the comfort zone of doing something nice for somebody else. And so I think the goal is just to show what happens when we get unleashed. You know, when we started the ministry, it was a desk on the sidewalk. God said, give me what you have. I had a desk, and I didn't realize <laughs> what it would turn into. So I think the goal is just to get people to start moving, start, start saying yes to more things, and to really start living and show them the pattern on every level of what that looks like. You said a desk on the side of the road. <laughs> what exactly did that look like? <laughs> well, I, I had nothing. Nobody showed up to my church building at all uh, one day, and I was so discouraged, and I said, God, I have nothing. He said, you have a desk. Move it on the sidewalk. Make your office on the sidewalk. And so I moved it there, and all these moms in the neighborhood would come by, and I'd talk to them and, and um, didn't realize that by talking to them, I found out they had sons that had drug problems. We took in, you know, those, those sons and daughters, and just by being out there and seeing people's need, it opened up the pathway for vision of what God wanted to do. And um, it's amazing how one desk on a sidewalk could lead 25 years to a hospital that's worth about 70 million dollars now we've been offered for that land wow. but uh that's not for sale obviously but <laughs> it's it just little obedience you just don't know what's going to happen if you if you choose to get out of your world the enemy is doing everything he can to keep us isolated fear tactics media culture everything is like stay within yourself um everyone's talking about finding yourself but really god just wants us to to lose ourselves into the needs of others and lose ourselves into a world of um, not overthinking everything in life, but just responding to these awesome things that God speaks to us that makes our life much better when we begin to move. Now, going back to that seven continents in seven days, uh, and I love that story in the book, and there's just so much uh, there. Uh, but first of all, it sounds pretty crazy <laughs> to to do, even if you didn't have your accident. Uh, it, it seems like it, just a crazy thing to do. But you say sometimes you say yes and figure it out later. Uh, how do you kind of pr 
for someone who's not there and not out in the outside, how do you uh, process that uh, idea of saying yes and figuring it out later? I think you embrace the fact that when you go in the direction of what's uncomfortable, you celebrate the fact that you don't have it all figured out. You just understand that's the way it's going to be, and that's really the joy of the journey. Um, when I when God spoke to me to start a rehab program and taking four guys in my house, and I was a 20-year-old church kid living with four guys who had drug problems, um, that was something I had to figure out as I went. But I just chose from the beginning to say, I'm just going to learn and grow. It's not about having the perfect plan. It's just about stepping out and growing through the process yourself as you begin to learn something. Um, when you're dealing with hurting people, there's really no experts because people change and the circumstances are always going to be different. Uh, but when you just decide that you're just going to meet needs and help people, God is with you. You have the assurance that the Lord will always be with you uh, when you go and you defend the cause of the hurting. When you're that one family member that at Thanksgiving says that our distant family member who has an addiction can change. When you're that lone voice of encouragement and hope, it brings about so much joy. You know, um, there's the, I have learned to not doubt myself. I used to doubt myself all the time. Well, can I do this or can I do that? Everything became a work of the flesh based upon what I could do in my own strength versus understanding that what I can't do in my own strength is the miracle space by which God gets involved. And, uh, and I started celebrating the fact that, okay, I'm going to do something I can't do but God is going to make up that difference. I'm going to see God show up in a real tangible way. And um, that's always been the secret. It's miracle space, the space between what you can do and what you can't do and where you need God to come and make up that difference. And so I, I, I've just learned to celebrate that. And in the beginning, it's, I had it all figured out how perfect I thought everything would, would be. But the messy parts of ministry are still what I love. Yesterday, I was almost crying when I'm talking about this. But yesterday, I was pulling up to my office and a police car comes storming around the corner, and um, I didn't know what was going on. It, it came up on me really fast in the Dream Center parking lot. I'm, I'm like, are they coming to get some parking tickets? I'm, I'm like three weeks late maybe on a $30 parking ticket. I don't know, but they pulled around the corner, and uh, the, this guy, uh, the police went around, opened up the door, and this guy was in shackles and chains. And um, I said, can I help you? And he said, yeah, we're bringing this guy into the Dream Center. And he said, um, can we bring him in instead of sending him to prison? And, I mean, just literally walking him up to our rehab program. Uh, four hours later, another cop did it, brought him in. We had three guys brought into the police who didn't want to put him to jail, who put, put him into our program. And I never thought the ministry would take on this form. And my dream went to rock bottom. To be honest with you, when I pastored, there was nights when nobody showed up in the beginning. But I realized something, that's, that God doesn't destroy people in rock bottom. He recreates them. And if my dream never went to rock bottom, I never would have been recreated into helping homeless people. That wasn't my dream. But when everything fell apart, I started dreaming God's dreams and dreaming from a place of brokenness, which opened up the heart to want to help a lot of people in many different ways. You said dreaming from a place of brokenness. Do you think that's almost a necessary part of the process that we have to get to that place of brokenness before the dream can become something else? For many cases, I believe so, because when you start dreaming from brokenness, you have the raw ingredients of God's heart, and you just start seeing things different. You, you find out there's passions that you had in your heart you didn't know that you had. Um, great plans are wonderful, but when great plans get, get busted up and 
you know, I always say God's audibles are, are greater than man's playbooks. And, uh, and you just start, he starts working with this raw element of our life. And we see it all the time in our program. I mean, these are guys that are coming in, you know, so addicted to drugs, about ready to die. And they just take one small step. They walk up that hill, they come into the program, and they say, I'm going to give it a week. And when we, we don't say, well, the program's a year. We just say, great, give it a week. <laughs> and we just set small goals on the way to big goals and, uh, and just pray that, we, that enough courage is upon them every week to, just to keep going. But that place of brokenness, you know, sometimes I long for that. Even, you know, 25 years later, ministry, it could be you get to the place to where you could just say, hey, man, we got a nice system going. You know, everyone's in place helping people and on a personal level as a pastor, I don't have to do it anymore. And I think a lot of this, this battle in this book is a fight within myself. I mean, the first chapter, I come right off the page by saying, telling the story about walking past a woman in need and not wanting to help her because she was too much of an inconvenience. And that's a vulnerable thing to tell in the beginning, because, but for a ministry known to be the out-of-the-way ministry. But a lot of this is a wrestling match, you know, us against ourselves, us against our preferences. It's, it's not one of those things we're going to get right all the time, but if the general affections of our heart are in the directions of helping people, we're going to live a much happier life. And so I think in this book, it just allowed me to be more vulnerable a little bit about my life and just more vulnerable about how many times I got it wrong. Because sometimes people think the fact that, boy, the Dream Center has really got it right. Well, in many ways we do, but in many ways we're still trying to grow through those selfish parts of our heart uh, that try to visit us way too often. Well, you, you talk about the mistakes you made. Isn't uh, part of the following God's nudges being comfortable making mistakes? Because if you're not comfortable making mistakes you're gonna stay in what you know does that make sense that's a great question that's exactly right um yes i think that not being afraid to make mistakes if your heart's in the right place if you're really trying to make a difference if you're trying to help people if you're trying to value what god values and you may make mistakes in the pursuit of that i've never felt bad um making mistakes according to pride or ego or you know chasing the wrong things those are the ones that feel a little bit more costly but when I'm just trying to do the purity of the gospel and you know, an idea might not turn out right, we fail in attempting something or a process or a system, God's always made up the difference. He's always seen us through or provided somebody who can actually help us do it the right way when we've done it the wrong way. So it all depends about where the condition of your heart is when you're stepping out to do something. If it's, I, I realize every time I've dreamed for hurting people, God's always allowed that dream to succeed. But every time I've dreamed for something maybe that I wanted to accomplish and and my own, those things haven't really turned out as well. So <laughs> I just decided that uh, I think God loves the people I'm trying to reach more than I do. And, and um, I'm just going to have fun trying to love people and, and, and try to, on a daily basis, live out that role of a servant. You know, the first 25 years of ministry, um, God's given us a lot of success. But I really want to find personal significance in, in day-to-day life, um, not living kind of numb or calloused or get the place to where well, I've seen it all, heard it all, but... I've, I've, this book has allowed me to go into a new depth of my soul of trying to say, man, I got to just remember the one in the middle of the journey of reaching many. Hey, so uh, I guess uh, that leads to the question, uh, what kind of, after not writing for such a long time, what kind of started you to write uh, this book? Or, I think a lot of it was personal. Um, I, thought, I felt like I was working through a lot of things in my own life about um, where I was at. Uh, we've been through a lot in the last three years. You know, we, 
we tried to grow the Dream Center a little too fast. Um, we we added about 200 beds in six months. Wow. And uh, for all the need and the homelessness and the epidemic that's breaking out over the city of L.A. And it was a big step of faith. And to be honest with you, it's probably too much of a step. That's why I did the you know the World Marathon Challenge. And, and you know, finishing that race left me really depleted physically and emotionally. I think it took a little bit out of my life. And so I wrote the book. I just said, I'm going to write like three pages and just see where it goes. I mean, I don't know if I'm even motivated. And as I just kind of went into that vulnerability right off the beginning of the story, I thought, you know what, maybe there's something here. And I just began to write and and just kind of see um, the evolution of this ministry and how from a desk on the sidewalk to all that's going on, it's just always been about common obedience and just letting people know that you don't have to buy a hospital, but boy, your life will dramatically change when you just decide that there's more to life than getting up and existing and living and, and serving. And so I started doing some weird things after that, like... I started to pick up my kids from school and find out how I could make that a 15-minute sanctuary instead of just picking them up and saying, how much homework do you have? God spoke to me. He said, take one small step. Build these your children in 15 minutes. When you pick them up from school, don't talk about homework. You know, Buy them their favorite drink or have a song they like queued up or have fun. You know, Make that 15 minutes matter. And I never thought that way before. You know, I was in the hustle and bustle of building this and building that and you know, finishing the next floor and God spoke to me, he said, in the little personal ways that I want to use you on a day-to-day basis to have nothing to do with growing the ministry or doing anything big, that's going to be the foundation of the next big push that, that I have for the Dream Center. But it'll be found in the little things that you do that prepare your heart for whatever is next. Which is a good uh, transition to what I had a couple questions on, because uh, you talk about that home field advantage, uh, creating a home field advantage for your uh, family. Uh, any other suggestions on making that a reality? I have one daughter, she's 13, going into that season. Uh, yeah. Any any advice on uh, how to uh, build that into your uh, into your world? It's interesting, um, and, I, and I'm definitely not putting this down because I think a lot of parents really love it and make it work. But you know, growing up, my dad. Uh, being this mega church pastor, he never had a family devotions. And I asked him, I said, Dad, why don't we ever have family devotions? He said, because my goal is, is every minute of a parent to make the gospel so exciting that my life is a devotion. I want to make my life. And so I remember those days when I'd come home and he would just, you know, talk about the ministry for five minutes and he would say, let's get up and let's go to a basketball game or, or, hey, let's go down there and give that guy a sandwich down under the bridge or, there's always these really spontaneous little things that he did. And I always looked forward to coming home because there was always an adventure. We never knew what was going to happen. He pastored a church of 10,000 people, one of the first ones to ever do it. And he would wake me up and say, son, we're going to go down and pick up people from the projects and bring them to church in our own car. I'm all, dad, we have buses. We have 40 of them. That's why we have the bus ministry. You know, so we don't have to go in our cars to do this. You know, it's kind of a selfish little kid, you know. <laughs> and he would, um, and he, he would just say, no, let's go do it. And so here's my dad rolling into this big old church, and they didn't even know he was a pastor. And he would like give him a seat at church, and then he'd say, "Hold on, I gotta, I'll be back." And then, I'll, and then he would be on stage. <laughs> Wait, that guy picked this up. And but I, I think sometimes in ministry, our kids can be so overwhelmed with do the right thing, do the right, do do the right thing, to where it, they lose that sense of joy and adventure of of the gospel allows us to do these extraordinary things. The gospel doesn't 
stop us from doing all these things, but it empowers us to to do big things and have a big life and big adventure and big spirit. And and um, so I just thought that the things of God were always the biggest things in the world, even if they were the smallest things, because my dad made a big deal about everything in a sense. So I would just encourage that show your family more adventure in serving God than anything that YouTube or Instagram or anything else that in the world has. And so uh, that's the challenge. And um, even if even if your children sometimes might not like it or understand it, they're getting it deep in their spirit. And so my goal is to do a lot more spontaneous things. Um, a lot of parents have a, t- a tough time encouraging their teenage kids because they don't think they're getting through. Keep doing it. It's getting through. It is getting through. Because my daughter told me that the other day. She said, Dad, you're always so positive. And sometimes I look. I'm like, are you just being positive? And then the other day, she's like, I never even told you this. In a weak, in a weak moment, I caught her. She said, uh, those, those things do more for me than anything. And, and so, I don't know, I just the sense of adventure is so important. And the, the joy that, that the gospel brings us, not all the things that we can't do, all the things we can do because we serve God. Hey, when you talk about hey. Your, your father, uh, I remember going, my parents wanted to expose me to people who, or, you know, so they took me to hear your dad speak when I was a kid, just to expose me to <laughs> people of faith. Uh, but there's something in him, and then now I see it in you and your writing and your work about faith. So uh, you talk about adventure, and but you both seem to be have this belief and faith in God that's is pretty amazing. Uh, is that something that's connected to the adventure or is that something you've cultivated uh, that you picked up from him? Where does that come from? I think it comes from responding to being more treated with what is possible uh, than what is practical. And we've always, we've always been that when we bought the hospital, everybody thought we were crazy. To be honest with you, we got almost hundreds of letters really and even some hate mail saying why would you go to LA and build a church there's no money there it's a third world country um, it's going to be the biggest mistake of your life and to be honest with you we kind of agreed with them we're like <laughs> we're not even mad at the haters we actually agreed with them we're like well you're probably right about that and and so their their analysis was so correct on the surface that we weren't even mad at them for making those analysis but we just kept going one day at a time. We realized that miracles could happen in the next step that you think you can't take. And uh, when we bought that building, we needed 18 months to come up with $4 million. Our church only had $50,000 a year coming in the offerings. Wow. But we began to tell the story. Imagine if, this, if the most notable building in L.A., one of the most landmark buildings, can be turned into a 24-hour place of refuge. And we just kept speaking that. And nine months into it, we got two guys who end up giving both a million dollars, and a man from Malaysia heard about it in the newspaper, showed up, never met the guy, he gave 500000 So I think big vision and big faith, um, and putting it all on the line, there's some people out there that kind of want to get behind that type of vision and go for it, but at the same time, it's, it's one of those things with just living life with no regrets, and just being more intrigued by what is possible, and not by what is practical. And that's just always been the side that we've leaned on. You know, we failed in the direction of stepping out in faith many times, but the few times that we have been blessed, <laughs> they've been big moments, and they have uh, <laughs> sh- shaped our lives dramatically. Hey. 
I love that. More intrigued by the possible than what is practical. All right. One of the things that really spoke to me in the book was the idea uh, of uh, your words uh, having power. Uh, you say on both ends of the spectrum, on one say you say excuses have power. And then on the other side, you talk about a 30-day challenge of just speaking uh, speaking ridiculous faith. Uh, can you talk about the power of our words? Oh, it's everything. It affects our health. It affects our um, relationships, everything. And that came out of a kind of a dark place I was at in my life where I started getting skeptical and and it wasn't like me. I'm like, what's happening to me? I've just let a, a few seeds of this, of, you know, bitterness and frustration enter into my soul and a tiredness. And I started saying kind of crazy things like, well, if it was all over tomorrow, it's been a good 25 year run. I mean, that's not a faith filled comment. That's the, that's kind of a doubt filled comment. And, and, and I was just kind of, I don't know, in a bad place. And I just, I, you know, I'm going to shake myself for 30 days. I'm going to get up. I'm just going to speak life into everything. I'm just going to thank everything, be thankful for everything. I'd go to the donut store, get a donut. I thank the Lord for the donut. I just went to an extreme. It just started praising my way out of that valley and rejoicing my way out of that situation and um, and walking through and just loving on people at, at the Dream Center campus, not just going to my office and say, hey, you know, being cordial, but trying to pour a word of life into them. And it really got me out of that place. It got me into a new rhythm. And I think the best thing it did was allow me to understand how good it feels to be on that side rather than the side where everything seems to snowball and um, the fears get greater, small fears become multiple fears. And, and there's just something about being aggressive in your, in your lifestyle and in the way in your words that you speak that um, just, just kind of, it's like a freight train that just runs over everything in its path. And so that's what I wanted to, to develop back into my life again and get that back because even people that are they're encouraging and the, even the word of God, they went through dark moments. You read the Bible, there were some people that had great faith and then all of a sudden they just, you know, they went through a season where they just wanted to die. I mean, the Bible is so vulnerable and, and I don't think I ever really got to that place, but I just, <laughs> I did get to the place where something in me wasn't the same. And uh, I just wanted to reject that on every level and, and share that experience with people that they give themselves a 30 day challenge of just speaking life into everything. Boy, it's, you're not even going to recognize your life when it's over. Any, uh, if someone was going to, who's listening to this and said, I need to do that, any practical advice of how to make that shift from what you were thinking uh, and getting rid of the other thinking to moving into it? Is it just kind of a choice every moment or build over time? Any advice on that? Yeah, it's a choice. That's also, you know, you have to be intentional about how you remind yourself. I, I put post-it notes everywhere. I put it in my refrigerator, you know, and, uh, you know, speak life, believe the best, whatever, because there's so many moments you can get back into that pattern again. And, uh, yeah, it was a choice, but I did a lot of things to remind myself. I did, I got ridiculous with it. I mean, I just put post-it notes everywhere, drove the family crazy. Um, <laughs> I just uh, made little uh, reminders on my phone, my screensaver, whatever I could do, I just uh, decided to go for it. And, and also... You know, with the 30-day challenge, was able, I was able to lock in uh, to an assignment and really understand what that assignment was. And uh, the fact that it was 30 days gave me a chance to really kind of dial it in and, and realize that if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it right in this time and see where it leads at the end. Of course, we know um, it led to a really good place. I, had, I asked my family to keep me accountable. That's a big thing, too. I said, hey, if I ever get that way, just tell me. I won't be offended. You know, um, I gave them a code word like uh, – 
you can give them anything. Orange juice, you know. If I get negative, <laughs> say orange juice. Okay, oh, I, I get it. Okay, I'm sorry. And uh, let other people keep you accountable. And it's a lot of fun. And it, it really reshapes. And it impacts them, too. When you have them keep you accountable, they're almost kind of like getting swept up into the process of the challenge as well. That's awesome. Hey, a couple more questions as we start wrapping it up here. Uh, first, I... On uh, the idea of a challenge, you, you do this 30-day challenge, you do seven continents, uh, uh, seven. <laughs> is, is that part of your personality? To I, I saw something on Instagram today from you that that's, <laughs> was another challenge. Is that in your makeup or is that something you've learned that works for you? Or why, what's with the challenge thing? Yeah, the challenge thing is there. I mean... What, that's one of the things that keeps us alive. There's always a sense of everyone challenging each other at the Dream Center, walking around, guys getting each other's face. Hey, man, you graduate the program. And that's one of the reasons why so many people do graduate because guys come in, they just swept them in, they get in their face a little bit. And uh, we're always just uh, provoking one another to good works. We've done 24 hours of free throws nonstop. Uh, <laughs> Uh, about kill our joints and our arms doing it, but uh, lived homeless on the streets of Skid Row to understand what the need was really like and um, to have a heart broken for compassion as I lived on the streets of Skid Row. So we've, um, those are the things right there that keep you on the edge. I want to live my life on the edge. My dad always says, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. So I want to be <laughs> on the edge. And, um, and I think Two, also, the ministry of the Dream Center is an edgy ministry, and it requires leadership um, that will be there. It's it's heartbreaking. You know, Echo Park and where our church auditorium is right across the street, four steps away now. The homeless have been driven out of different areas. Now they've ended up on our park. So every Sunday after church, we have people going by the hundreds into the tents after Sunday morning. Imagine four steps from your sidewalk now. One of the largest encampments has now been moved literally to outside our building. And I keep thinking, man, I don't think I think our church, our church might not grow now because, you know, it's become like the epicenter. It's actually grown bigger and bigger now that, and all the homeless people leave their tents. They walk into our church building, and I talk to them. I challenge them. I say, look, I know you're living in tents, and we love you, and you can come to our church forever and live in a tent. We appreciate you. You're our church members, and they come to church. They hear me. I get right in their face. I tell them. I said, but you have a dream center right down the street that will take you in in one for a month or for a year, whatever you need. And will help you, and um, if you just take the step of faith, and uh, so we just go in there every day, six days a week in the park. We talk to people. We try to be that provoking spirit that would get them out of that situation. You can't change for people; uh, they have to make their own decisions. And we have a lot of people that do that. But we're in the middle of a major crisis right now in our city of just of having the only way it's going to change in homelessness is not just give people free housing. You're going to have to get right there, personal, personal, one-on-one, -on -one, and be there for them every week to help them to be that transition you know, out of that place of fear that they're living in and into a place of renewal. And so um, even in those situations, we're challenging people all the time in the tents. We'll love you. We love you where you're at. We're going to love you forever. If all you ever did was live in this tent forever, we love you. We want you to be saved and know Jesus, your Lord and Savior. But there are better options. But that only comes... Speaking that way into people's life only happens through relationships and by being there. And, and the more that you're in someone's life, the bolder you can be in the area of, of encountering them and challenging them uh, to good works and provoking. So 
challenge is, is sort of the DNA of the entire ministry of the Dream Center. It's it, from our people going out, ministering to, you know, and it's not, it's, sometimes people just need a little bit of understanding as well. But I think getting to that place of challenge usually begins through relationship. I love that because that, that, that speaks to me. I'm all about the challenging myself. My wife sometimes is like, all right, calm down, Kevin. But that's all right. <laughs> all right. One other question, and then I, we want to know where we can find the book, Dream Center, all that stuff that they can uh, find out. But uh, one place in the book you talk about the big events of the world, get all the headlines. But little acts of kindness rule the world. Uh, if there, someone was listening today, and uh, you know they're not doing Dream Center, they're not, uh, they're maybe a suburban mom or uh, listening to this on their way to their business. Uh, what would you say to them about uh, the little acts of kindness uh, and what they can do with that? I would encourage them to be like Jesus. You know, the one sentence autobiography of Jesus was Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who went about doing good. Whenever I hear that scripture, I think of Jesus living his life with a head on a swivel, just looking for ways to be a blessing, looking for ways to be a miracle. And the autobiography of his life was that was a man who looked for opportunities to make a difference. And I just encourage you to have a generous eye, to go around, listen, look. Uh, you don't have to look far for a need. All you have to do is look everywhere. Um, there's people talking all the time. Um, you know, my kid, I wish I had money for my kids' little league or. I wish um, I had someone to pick me up from school. I, there's just everyday need to speaking all the time. Um, the person that you encounter that that you know nobody wants to be around. I tell kids when they're even if they're young, you know, look for that one kid in the cafeteria that's lonely and be there for them. I mean, change your own life uh, by being a person that puts yourself in someone else's world. It's crazy. One of my favorite scriptures in the Bible is Matthew 26, 6, that says, Jesus entered the home of a man named Simon the leper. That doesn't seem like much, but there's 28 chapters in Matthew. Jesus is getting ready to die on the cross. So what is he doing in Matthew 26, 6? In the biggest moments as he's preparing for the cross, he's sitting down with a man who has leprosy in the strategic hours of the end of his life. That's the kind of life that Jesus wants us to live to where we're not so overwhelmed by the world that we just don't look for ways to be a blessing. God, just just to live your life with your head on a swivel. Look for ways to, every day to make one um, way of impact, one encounter. And uh, if you can just do one a day, um, uh, and it doesn't always have to be money, doesn't always have to be things. It could just be disposition, attitude, and um, and those. Imagine if everyone did that on a daily basis in the world, how much change could happen. It probably could turn around in 24, 48 hours in some ways, and tangible, real evidence of change. So I, I just want them to get to a place where that engine of life, it's only, you know, if you live your life with palms up, you're only going to be happy at Christmas time and your birthday. But when you live your life palms down, there really is a way you can be happy 365 days a year. I was just at the donut shop and, and uh, before I got here, and uh, I, I dropped like a $2 tip. And... This lady was just so nice, and she literally almost started to cry. And I realized that little acts of kindness really do go a long way in someone's life. And you got a donut out of the deal, so that's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe more in the future. <laughs> All right. So where where can people learn about you and the ministry and find the book and any other final ask that you'd have of the audience? 
Well, first of all, I want to help the audience. If they ever have a son or daughter who has a drug addiction or needs a one-year free program to help them get their life together, I know almost every family is impacted by drugs or alcohol or some type of substance abuse, sadly. Um, they can go to dreamcenter.org, fill out an application. We'll take them in and help them. So I always like to talk about that first. If you want to bring a youth group or a short-term mission team to the Dream Center for a week, you can go to dreamcenter.org, sign up there as well, come down and spend some time with us. Um, or uh, the book will also be there'll be a link to the book on dreamcenter.org, and of course you can find the book on every outlet um, under the sun. It will be available uh, come March 31st pre-order. It will be available, and then of course April 7th the general release. So I would encourage everyone to go and um, to where, wherever their favorite outlet is, you'll be able to find one small step. Perfect. Uh, and uh, let me recommend to everyone: uh, it's going to be a book that challenges you, and it'll be a, a place to. Take that next step with your walk with Jesus, so check it out. So thanks, Matthew, for being with us today. It's a joy to be with you. I love it. All right. God bless. Well, there you have it. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did in having it. And uh, I've taken some notes on it, and I've uh, incorporated it in my system already even uh, in this last month since I recorded the conversation. And so I think you're going to want to uh, check out the book. You can find all the information at ChristConnection.cc and slash podcast, or click on the podcast when you get over to the website. Again, that's ChristConnection.cc. Click on the podcast, and you also want to go there because there's the link to the YouTube video that I have him singing to his wife, so you want to get to see that. That's good stuff. Uh, good television, as my uh, daughter likes to say. Um, find us on social at uh, Enjoying Prayer on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, say hi. Tell us where you're listening from. We love to uh, know who is part of the community because we're here to serve you and be a blessing in your life. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to uh, this as well because uh, I know we've got some great stuff just around the corner that's going to be an encouragement and a blessing to your life. So until next time, I want to just thank you for listening and God bless. Mm-hmm.